KMTT, Kimitzion Teitzei Torah. You are listening to the Erev Shabbat program, Erev Shabbat Kodesh, Parashat Emor, Tetzayin Yar. The Erev Shabbat program is Lilui Nishmat, Shlomo Yosef and Chaim Shmuel, and I'm your host, Jonathan Snowbell. I'd also like to dedicate the Erev Shabbat program to the birthday of my daughter, Rinat Chana, who celebrates her third birthday, the Shabbat. I'm going to talk a little bit about something that is important, something that is a little bit less important, but on my mind nonetheless. Let's start with the more important, in the event that it takes too long, we'll have said it, and we won't have spoken about the less important. We spoke about couple weeks ago, uh, doing actions that show our identification with the Mikdash, as opposed and perhaps not as opposed to doing actions that build the foundation upon which a sturdy Mikdash can be built. In other words... In that context, we spoke about taking money and buying a portion of Korban Pesach as opposed to taking money and supporting the weaker segment of society as a foundation of the Mikdash. Because we truthfully believe that a Mikdash that could be built can only be built on the foundations of a society that is a good society. And then we have to ask ourselves, so where should we engage our efforts? Should we engage our efforts in being proactive about our identification with the Mikdash? Or should we engage our efforts in being proactive in building those foundations of the Mikdash? Probably the answer is a little bit here and a little bit there. In any case, I wanted to discuss a Rashi in this week's Parsha, which touches upon this very subtly. In the midst of the Parashat HaMoadim, the whole parasha within Parashat HaMor, which discusses the holidays from Shabbat through Pesach, Shavuot, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot, right in the middle, after discussing Chag Shavuot, the Torah writes, When you harvest the harvest of your land, don't finish off all the corners and don't pick up all the loose pieces of the harvest. Rather, you should leave this for the poor person, for the stranger, the mitzvot of pe'ah and leket are mentioned. Pe'ah is the mitzvah of leaving a corner of a field untouched to allow the poor person to come and harvest it for himself. And the mitzvah of leket is one or two sheaves of wheat that fall in the harvest process. You should leave them behind. 
these are clearly agricultural forms of tzedakah, but agricultural forms of tzedakah are more powerful than tzedakah today because tzedakah today, we give money, we give food, it's somewhat of a finished product, and here the ani has to be active. He can't sit at home and not leave his house. He has to go out and he has to, just in the case of pe'ah, he has to actually take a sickle and cut the wheat himself. And in the case of luck, he has to actually go out and collect it himself. This is very significant when we talk about uh, welfare states and a welfare situation where people who... Pardon me? When people are poor and we help them, how much are we pushing them into a state of being helped and not helping themselves. So here is a beautiful example of where the Torah comes and says, we're going to help the Ani, but we're going to help him in a way that he has to help himself. He won't If he just sits at home, he won't have anything. He'll have to go out to the field and harvest with the owner. He'll have to be there. So we're helping him, but we're also helping him help himself. All that was an aside. This pasuk is troubling on two levels. One is, we just wrote the almost, if not identical, pasuk in the previous parsha of Parsha Kedoshim. And what is it doing here, in the middle of Parsha Tamodim? Parsha Tamodim is a very... Mitzvah-oriented of doing mitzvot ben Adel makom of how to celebrate the Chag, whether in the Mikdash or outside the Mikdash. It's very, it's very technical. Ben Adel makom mitzvot, and not, there's nothing to do with ben Adel chavero ani mitzvot. So Rashi brings a Midrash, Hamar Avdimi Barabi Yosef, Mara'a katuv litna be'emtza regalim. Pesach ve'atzeret. Mikan, What did the Torah see to place this pasuk right in the middle of the regalim? Pesach and Atzeret on one side, Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur on the other side. Right in the middle. Lilamedcha, to teach you. Shikol hanoten leket shikha vepeah leani karaui. Maalin alav kilu bana beit hamikdash vikruvu alav korbanotav betocho comes to teach you that anybody who gives leket shichicha and peah, these agricultural mitzvot, and Rashi adds here, shichicha, which is not actually mentioned in the pasuk here, but shichicha is about forgetting bundles in the field. If you forget one or two bundles, you should leave it for the ani. Not a large quantity, but a small quantity, once again. So if you fulfill these mitzvot, leket shichicha peah, as they're supposed to be done properly, it is said about him that it's as if he built a Beit HaMikdash and sacrificed upon its sacrifices. So, in general, I am skeptical, I question mitzvot in which we say it is as if you have done this and this and, 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 and we have to be hesitant of these mitzvot. Because sometimes when we say it's as if you've done this and this and this, 
then we're satisfied with the the accomplishment of the mitzvah in place of the mitzvah that we want to accomplish. Someone who says the korbanot and learns about the korbanot is as if uh, they brought korbanot. Why am I skeptical? Skeptical because it allows a person to believe that okay, well, I've I've brought a korban now because I read parshat Ola, so it's as if I brought a Ola and I've I've uh, learned menachot, so it's as if I've brought uh, korbanot, and I don't have to strive for anything else. Because here the Torah says the Chazal teach me that if I do this, it's as if I've done that. So good. And Chazal, to a large extent, were trying to fill a void of a people who had a Beit HaMikdash or bring Korbanot and now could not anymore. And they were largely crushed by this phenomenon that they could not bring Korbanot. And Chazal wanted to give them some sort of prize, condolence prize. You know, this is, this is like bringing a Korban. Combine that with 2,000 years of Galut, where Beit HaMikdash is not something that was in our mind for so long. This doesn't become a condolence prize anymore. This becomes... This is the way it's supposed to be. We don't actually have to bring Korbanot. If we read about Korbanot, we learn about Korbanot, we do these and these actions, then it's as if we brought Korbanot. That's good enough. We don't need to strive for anything more. Similarly, one if wants to wants to read in this vein, if I give tzedakah, if I give leket shichachan peah, then it's as if I built a beit hamikdash and we have sacrificed the sacrifices, and there we've solved the problem with uh, uh, the division of Jerusalem. Why do we have to fight with the Arabs over Jerusalem? We could just build. We could just bring tzedakah to the anim, and that's as if we built a beit hamikdash. So let them have their thing there. We'll have our thing in the soup kitchens, and that's it. So that, that, that that's the place of my skepticism, is that these ki'ilu lines, ki'ilu banad beit hamikdash, stop us from wanting the real thing, and make us satisfied with the ki'ilu. It's as if, why do I need to have the beit hamikdash with all the problems? Let's just give tzedakah. Here specifically, there's, there's always that danger in these lines, and that's why I'm hesitant of them. And I'm hesitant that they give off a bad message to someone who wants to hear the wrong message. But, that being said, I think there's a specific significance to this line in, in the context of what we discussed previously. Someone who is worrying about the weak people in society, they're the people who are building the foundation of the Beit HaMikdash. And here I'm not saying ki'ilu, and I'm taking the words of Rashi, quoting the Midrash, slightly out of context, but I'm saying unequivocally, a person who is building the pillars of a just society, for example, by giving tzedakah to poor people, in a way that you're helping the poor people, but in a way where you're helping the poor people help themselves as well, this person is building the foundation of the Beit HaMikdash. 
because the Beit HaMikdash has been destroyed consistently when society falls apart. Society falling apart means the Beit HaMikdash can no longer stand. And in order to rebuild the Beit HaMikdash, we have to take steps of building the society in a just way in order to establish the foundation of the Beit HaMikdash. And this is no joke, and this is no ki'ilu, this is the real thing. Now, with the few minutes that remain, I want to talk about Ikar and Tafel. Here we have the Moadim as they are in this parsha as they are written in the Torah. And within the Moadim we have Mitzvah Tzvirat HaOmer. Tzvirat HaOmer, in the, in the heart of Tzvirat HaOmer, is Lagba Omer. Lagba Omer has significance on two levels. The one that's written explicitly in the Gemara, in the Shulchan Aruch, is that during this time period of Sfirat Omer, the Talmidim of Rabbi Akiva died en masse. And this goes back to about the foundations of society. They did not know how to treat each other respectfully. They were sure that the truth was on their side and nowhere else. And this is a plague that plagues us to this day. And that is very much related to how society fell apart to bring on the destruction of the second Beit HaMikdash. The Rabbi Akiva is, and his Talmudim are post-Beit HaMikdash. But that same plague relates to the destruction of the Beit HaMikdash. And in Lagba Omer, this Magifa stopped. Whether it stopped completely, it stopped for a day. This, of course, is the reason why we don't get married during Sefirat Omer, or at least parts of the Sefirat Omer, and that's why we don't shave. And that means that Sefirat Omer, uh, Lagba Omer, pardon me, is a day of happiness, but a day of happiness that's mitigated. Uh, people shouldn't be dying on a regular day. But specifically here, people were dying, and then suddenly it stopped. It's a day of happiness. Not overjoyed happiness, but happiness, in the in the comparison to what's been happening in Sfirat Omer until now, Talmud and Rabbi Akiva are dying, so it's a break from that. And it's a stoppage of that, and that's something worthy of marking. And that says it's not a day of excessive happiness. In Kabbalah, we also are taught that it's the day that Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai died, and here we have a concept, again a Kabbalistic concept, that the day that Sadiq dies is not a sad day, but rather a happy day because his influence on the world becomes much greater in his death than in his life which here, even the rationalists amongst us can see that that can be very true. You know, not one and not two well-known Jewish figures who have whose popularity has only zoomed in their death. And their popularity, not in the sense of a cheap word of popularity, but a popularity of people being more familiar 
seems to relate to more Hasidic type figures, and Rabbi Shimon Bar Yochai is an example, Rabbi Nachman in Breslov is an example, Rabbi Shlomo Karlbach is an example as well. It's puzzling to me, and with this we'll end, how people can make such amazing efforts to go to Meron on Lagba Omer. They're talking about between 500 and 600,000 people. We're talking about people who sleep there for a week before, for a week after, to be there. There's no mitzvah deoraita to go to Meron. There's no mitzvah de Rabbanan to go to Meron. Clearly, as a personality that I am, I would have people investing their time in taking care of society, taking care of the poor people. Not to say that the people who go to Meron don't. But the amount of effort that's put there to go to, to do something that is not a mitzvah and not a percentage of a mitzvah and not really anything, in my opinion, something is a little bit skewed here, something is a little bit off-kilter. And we really should know how to focus our energies on more important things. And if people don't want to have a bonfire this year because Lagba Omer is Motzei Shabbat, you don't really have to have a bonfire. It's not a mitzvah. And for those environmentalists amongst us who try to tell us to light one less candle on Hanukkah for the betterment of the environment, well, I'll give two suggestions. Don't uh, turn on your car 24 hours every week on Shabbat. That'll have a much greater impact than not lighting a Hanukkah candle. And I'll gladly give up the bonfire on Lagba Omer. You don't have to do that either. There's a Psak Halacha from Jonathan Snowbell. If you care about the, if you want to care about the environment, light the same, light the right number of Hanukkah candles. Don't light a bonfire on Lagba Omer. And uh, on that note. Let's focus on the Yikar, what we discussed at the beginning of this year, and let's be less focused on the Tafel, what we discussed at the end of this, of this program. Shabbat Shalom, and have a good luck, Ba'omer. All the best.